You've tuned in to the Get Connected podcast. I'm your host, Mike Agarbo. Joined today by Gray Williams. Uh, we're going to be talking tech startups and uh, how Amazon Web Services is helping them get uh, not only started, but uh, also growing, in many cases, exponentially. And uh, also diving into the fintech world uh, as well to see where that's uh, all at. Plus, uh, we're going to go into USB cables and chargers, what to look for when you need a new one. They're not all the same. And uh, yes, there are uh, standards out now. USB-C is kind of the main one. Even Apple is going that way. But uh, they have two different ratings, not only for power, but also transfer speed as well. We're going to try to demystify that for you. It's time to get connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio with Gray Williams. We've got a great program for you today. We uh, are going to be uh, talking with uh, Amazon Web Services about uh, the state of startups, tech startups in Canada. You'd be blown away by how many tech startups uh, are happening on a yearly basis here. So we'll be chatting about uh, some of the, the cool ones uh, that are are uh, up and coming and also uh, some of the, the, the services that they need uh, as well. And hopefully maybe it uh, will inspire you to start your own uh, tech startup uh, or uh, app. And uh, we'll also be talking about USB-C cables and chargers. I know it doesn't sound sexy, but we all use these cables. Uh, they're all kind of the same, uh, I guess, plug standard now, USB-C. But there's there's big differences, Gray. Yeah, yeah, there definitely is. And, you know, like a good cable can go a long way. So... You know, these cables, uh, you know, they transfer data, uh, you know, you use them to charge your laptop, your phone, your tablet, but they all have different ratings as to how much power they're capable of uh, passing through. So as you can imagine, your laptop is going to need a better cable than your, your phone. So they not only have power ratings, but also speed ratings as well for data. So if you're going to be transferring data between your devices, you'll want to stay tuned uh, for that segment. We're going to kind of demystify it and also talk about some of the, the cool new charging technology out there as far as in the charging blocks uh, as well and what to look for uh, in that. Uh, Great. I think the big news over the past couple of weeks and now Google's on board with this as well, uh, the, the big tech giants, Google and Meta, they're, uh, they're scrapping local news links in Canada uh, in response to the, the new um, online news act that uh, just got uh, passed here in, in our country. Yeah, so I mean, you know, we, we talked about this in, in the past on the show, uh, journalism costs money. And Google and Facebook have been reaping the benefit of a lot of the hard work that journalists have been doing around the country. Um, you know, if we're, we're looking at um, the, the traffic that it brings in, if we're looking at the revenue that it brings in for Google and for Facebook through advertising, that um, it's not an even split. Like this is not being shared with these news organizations at all. And you know, I know for myself, like local news, um, like uh, you know, uh, newspapers like the Taiyi, um, and there's one in the in the Fraser Valley. Uh, I I, ha I have to support with my own donation dollars in order for them to be able to, to continue to survive. Um, subscriptions are one way that folks can can help out, but Google and Facebook are stripping this content. Um, and posting it, and, and again, nothing's going back to these organizations, at least not in a significant way. This was an issue in Australia, and the Australian government took pretty much this exact action. It never actually had to leverage the law, though, because Google and Facebook, they blinked. And so we're, we're kind of sitting here right now in Canada wondering, will they blink again? Um, is this a negotiation, negotiation tactic? And it, it looks like it might be. Not, not for certain, but it might be. 
So some interesting numbers here. Uh, the Canadian Parliament's independent budget watchdog found that news organizations could actually get as much as 329 million Canadian per year from digital platforms. And Google and and Facebook, they drive a lot of traffic to news sites. Uh, For example, the Globe and Mail has uh, said that Google accounts for 30% of their traffic. Uh, One of uh, the major French language publications, Le Devoir, uh, says that Google drives 40% of its traffic with nearly 30% coming from social media. So I guess essentially what's happening now, Gray, uh, with Google and and Facebook, they're basically shutting off links to Canadian news sites in, in their search or their news feed. Yeah, and I mean, we've seen with things like this where, where content is not available, um, this actually tends to hurt Google and it tends to hurt Facebook. When Reddit went dark and search avail- search results weren't available, users weren't happy. They didn't blame the uh, they didn't blame um, Reddit in this particular case. They started to blame Google, and it actually is Reddit's fault in that particular one. But looking at news organizations, you know, they did the work. Canadians are doing the work, and multinational corporations are reaping the benefit. I think that we need to, they need to pay for what, what it is that they eat. Well, the, the bills, the law's not even supposed to take effect for six months. And, and already, already they've, they, they're cutting off the news links. You know, we're talking about Google and Meta, which is uh, Facebook's uh, parent company. And, so, and this is really just a, just a process of using the consumer, using all of us as a pawn in this chess game. And quite frankly, not impressed. Not impressed, Google. Not impressed, Meta. Yeah, so we'll have to uh, follow that story just to, to see how that uh, goes uh, in the, the coming weeks. Uh, will we kind of turn out the same as Australia? You know, they did pass uh, some similar uh, legislation, uh, but um, like you were saying, Gray, uh, you know, the, the tech giants actually worked out deals with uh, news publishers down there. So I'm kind of expecting they will do the same here. I think so. Uh, talking about Meta a little bit more, uh, they're uh, launching... A, a monthly, I guess, subscription, a virtual reality service for seven ninety nine uh, a month, as they as they try to kind of ramp up their uh, their VR platform. So they're, I, you know, I guess they'd be one of the leaders right now in as far as virtual reality headsets. They've got something called the MetaQuest Two, and so they are going to be launching this service uh, seven ninety nine a month. Again, I think this is U.S. pricing or sixty bucks a year for an annual subscription. And it will be compatible with all their different headsets, the Quest 2, uh, the Quest Pro, and the new upcoming Quest 3 headset as well. Not really sure what you get <laughs> for that $8 a month, but um, it looks like they're they're trying to squeeze a little more revenue out of that uh, that division. They are. And, you know, it's interesting because they've actually purchased some of the, the top games on these platforms. Beat Saber has actually been brought internal um, uh, for this platform. And so... <sighs> This is the thing that we're, we're missing, is the information on what you get for your $7.99. You know, for $7.99 back when Netflix first started doing this, we had a fair idea. The library wasn't huge, but at least it was sort of apparent. I'm still trying to figure out what the heck it is that I'd get for my 8 bucks. So you've got uh, a Meta Quest headset, right? I do. I, I, do. I do too. When's the last time you used it? Uh, it must have been three, four um, months <laughs> okay so that's a problem don't you think like it's amazing right i have one and it's amazing and when i first got it you know i spent a lot of time in there but like you i have this 600 hundred dollar headset just kind of sitting in a closet right now like i i haven't so he, used it 
here's, here's my challenge. I don't have central air, and it's a very, very sweaty device to use, even in the colder months. So, yeah, and, until the temperatures come back down, it's probably on hiatus. Well, explain why it's a sweaty thing. For, for... So I, 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 tend to, I tend to use fitness games. There's a great uh, game called Supernatural uh, and the aforementioned Beat Saber, which are games where you hold onto these controllers and flail wildly into the real world as you're looking to you know, chop at blocks and bat at, at balls and, and, and hit things uh, in an effort to get your heart rate up uh, so that I can go and I can eat butter on my popcorn when I go to the movie theater. So uh, I'm just reading here that they're actually going to be um, giving you games. They'll be releasing new games every uh, month. Uh, I, I haven't heard some of these ones. There's like Walkabout Mini Golf, Pistol Whip, Pixel Ripped 1995. Um, so I, I guess it's kind of like almost like an Apple Arcade kind of subscription thing. Yeah, those sound like triple C titles. Absolutely. Big budget. So, but again, like you're not using yours. You haven't used it in months. I haven't either. Uh, it, these things aren't sticky other than sweaty sticky. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, from a, from a, a tech gadget perspective. Yeah. And you know, it, it's, I mean, I, I absolutely love the experience. I kind of got, again, I got a little busy with life and it's a little too warm to use it right now. Um, you know, now that you mentioned it, I think I'm going to go put it on charge and see if I can actually get a game of Beat Saber. I don't even know where it is, mine is right now. <laughs> I don't know what closet it is. But, you know, can can Apple make a difference there? Like, they're not going to sell a lot of the Apple headsets right out of the gate. You know, it's coming out early next year. It's going to be close to $5,000 Canadian. So it's not like a mass market thing yet. But can they make a difference? You know, it's they're looking at it as a, uh, a spatial computing platform, right? It's not VR. It's not AR. It's spatial computing. Uh, that alone says that they're taking a completely different approach. I can't help but think that all of the things that they've been building to, you know, gesture control with the Apple Watch and whatnot, yeah, I, I think they I think they know that they've got the secret sauce. I think they, they know this is why they've held off for so long. They wanted to get it right. And I, I dare say from what I'm hearing from tech reviewers so far, they've got it right. It's interesting. Uh, I was at uh, the, the Collision Conference uh, this week in Toronto. Uh, it, it's like a big tech uh, conference. I think like 35,000 people come to it and it's fascinating. It's just, it just, it's, I guess more around startups, tech startups, but the money it's so, um, it's almost like a fad. Like last year it was all metaverse mm -hmm. this year. God help you. If you could find a metaverse tech company there, like it's all AI, everything, <laughs> like every tech company had AI in their title. I, I no, I'm I'm not kidding you. And the year before that, it was watching. So I, I'm I'm wondering, like, what is next year's buzzword? I think it'll be AI. Mm. Still, I think AI is is kind of here to stay, and um, it's a buzzword. But yeah, it's a technology that's advancing quickly. I think metaverse. Uh, we're still at least five years away from anything meaningful uh, on that. I don't know if you. Agree you know me. I, I never metaverse. I didn't like so. <laughs> More of a karaoke thing, though. Well, I think we'll have to start seeing the the prices come down on the headsets and um, and just I guess kind of more killer apps. You know, yes, they're good for games, but like outside of games, what are they good for? Maybe. And, and this is kind of where spatial computing comes in. Like, how much more can we do? Okay, we've got a lot to talk about on today's uh, program. Uh, we will be talking about the state of uh, tech startups in Canada and and uh, have a look at uh, a few of the ones that kind of stand out uh, right now. 
And we are going to be talking about USB cables and chargers. And I, I really encourage you to stick around for that segment because there is a difference between all these uh, these charging cables and these charging blocks that are out there. And it's it might seem like a good deal to get that $5 charging cable at the gas station, but maybe... You know, it's the old saying, you get what you pay for. These things all have speed ratings and they all have power ratings. And you need to know the difference between all of them, especially for, uh, you know, larger power items like like laptops. You want to make sure that you don't burn your house down. Mike Agarbo here in studio. We're going to talk startups, uh, tech startups here in Canada. We've got a great guest with us today. Her name is Patricia Nelson. She is with AWS, Amazon Web Services. They're kind of at the forefront and helping a lot of these uh, startups get up and going with technology and other advice. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Mike. So uh, how are tech startups doing in Canada? Tech startups are doing great in Canada. We are so proud to be working with tens of thousands of companies across the country. Sorry, tens of thousands. Tens of thousands. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you'd say like hundreds, but no, there's a lot. No, there's a lot. Yeah. Um, Across Canada, globally, AWS is really leaning in and supporting startups right from those early days. It's just part of our DNA. So uh, you, you, I guess your mission is to help tech startups in Canada with AWS. What does that look like? What, what, what's your day-to-day? Yeah, happy to share. Um, so for the team here in Canada, we're working with companies as they're getting going, as they're ideating, as they're working through that minimal viable product, and as they're really scaling and going right through not just their initial public offering, if that's part of their goal, yeah. but even as they're moving into enterprises and as public sector companies, AWS is with them throughout that entire journey. And do they find you or do you find them? How does that work? Um, both. We're, we're here at Collision this week and we're working with startups, um, you know, meeting them here in person. But startups are also finding us through accelerators and incubators across the country, with the universities, um, with venture capital firms. We partner really closely to make sure that we're meeting startups where they are and that they can find us quite easily. Okay, so what, like for your services, like what kind of services do you guys offer for these startups that help them go? With AWS, we're offering cloud computing services. So startups are able to build on AWS with their, for compute, database, artificial intelligence and machine learning, so the actual of, building. Yeah, so instead of having all that computers and stuff right. on their, in their building, it's kind of in the cloud. It's using your computing power. It's using our compute powder power, which is uh, more secure, more flexible, gives them the ability to really scale. And it's not having those servers under desks anymore that we would have had in the past. That's what we used to do in the old days. It's literally like I, I had servers under our desks. And we still see that across yeah. the country and, and Super globally. Safe. We recommend uh, the cloud for, yeah. for workloads and having companies start building in the cloud allows them to really use the power of AWS, let us worry about the security in the cloud, and let them focus on building what's needed for the customers. Do you have any examples of some Canadian startups you're working with? Absolutely. Uh, we're working with companies coast to coast. Neo Financial is one example I'll give. Calgary-based startup, really offering a tech-driven alternative to classic banking. Many Canadians may have recognized Neo coming into the Canadian space with the Neo MasterCard, which was like Hudson's Bay MasterCard. Um, but Neo has incorporated a lot of AWS solutions into every facet of their company, including security, data storage, and the analytics to really create a highly secure, scalable, and agile architecture that meets the rigorous demands of their customers, their partners, and their regulators. 
I guess if you're like into like financial technology, I mean, you've got to be above board. You've got to make sure that you have all the right security in place and, and what have you. Yeah, that's really important. And I think that's why Neo um, chooses to build with AWS and is such a great So you, you guys help them do that? We help Neo um, through the access in the cloud and yeah. being able to access the different services that we have available to them. We have 140 pre-built compliance standards to make it easier for startups to meet those different regulations. Oh my God, globally. that must save them so much time. It saves them time. It makes it more secure for them. And it really just helps them to build and focus on their customers, which is what we're doing in offering these services to focus on our customers like Neo. So you do a lot of financial startups. Are there other types as well? Yes, we also do. Uh, we really work with companies across the country in a variety of different verticals and spaces. Another example I'll give you is around clean tech technologies. Uh, Good Chemistry is one of our customers based out in Vancouver. They're tackling the challenge of breaking uh, the strongest bonds in chemistry that make up forever chemicals. Mike, those are those chemicals that just don't go away and they're going to harm all of us in the future if they're not addressed. And Good Chemistry has built Chemist, which is a cloud-based high-performance computing, machine learning, and quantum computing solution um, to affordably and accurately predict chemical properties. And so that sounds really complicated, but they're using AWS as part of their backbone for the data and the machine learning to make these changes and to be able to work with their customers and address this really important. Uh, and again, that would save a lot of time in, in developing this, wouldn't it? It would have taken years and years before where they can use some of these services to rapidly speed that up. Yes, it's saving them time. Um, it's also allowing them to be more innovative and offer new solutions to their customers. Talking with Patricia Nielsen, she's with uh, Amazon Web Services about uh, tech startups uh, in Canada. What's what's the favorite part of your job? Like you get to kind of work with these startups. This, that must be kind of exciting, something new all the time. It is exciting and it is new. Our customers are so different and unique and it's very exciting for us in AWS to be able to bring to bear our expertise. Our DNA is in startups. A lot of our team members are former founders and mentors to startups themselves. And we get to bring that into the field and then take what we're learning from our startups and kind of help share that knowledge. It's just really exciting to be part of it. Where can people find out more information about uh, some of the stuff you're doing? We'd love for people to check out aws.com slash startups. Gagarbo here in studio. We're going to talk fintech now. You might hear that term in the news uh, every so often. It stands for finance or financial tech. We've got a great guest with us today to talk about uh, fintech companies and how that whole world is just exploding right now. His name's Sam Edge with AWS, Amazon Web Services. Thanks uh, for joining us. Thanks very much, Mike. Great to be here. So you have an interesting job. Like You are in charge of, uh, I guess, fintech companies working with Amazon Web Services. That's great. Yeah. So you know, my job title is head of fintech for startups, AWS, globally. Uh, me and my team essentially help fintech startups uh, build, grow, and succeed using AWS, using our tech services, and also many of our go-to-market programs. So let's just uh, step back and explain to the listeners fintech. Like, yeah. what kind of companies are fintech? Where would they see these? Yeah, sure. So um, fintech, you know, or financial technology, you know, we kind of define it as startups that are leveraging new technologies, cloud technology, mobile technology, generative AI in the in the future. Uh, to innovate within the financial services industry. And that could either be selling into an end customer or it could be selling into a bank or a financial service institution to help them improve the, their, their service to customers. So kind of good example of this space might be Challenger Bank. So I think in, in Canada, you have companies like Financial Neo that, um, for example, provide a more personalized experience 
for their customers through a mobile phone. Um, so they're not like one of the big banks. They're, uh, no, exactly. Yes, yeah. you have incumbent banks that you know, have traditionally been focused on branches and brokerages and these sorts of things. You know, a bit kind of less convenient maybe for you know consumers today. Um, and like fintechs are innovating in that space and providing a more personalized experience and a more convenient experience, typically at lower cost. So it really is all about uh, more competition, I guess, in financial services and banking. It was interesting one actually. So you know, if we take a step back and look at how the industry has evolved over time. You know, it typically has kind of sort of evolved over waves of innovation. So the first wave of innovation was very much, as you said, more around competition. We call it kind of the challenger, challenger era. So that's where you have challenger banks, challenger insurers that brought the interface for a customer onto a mobile device. So go back 15 years. If you want to speak to your bank teller, you went into a branch. If you want to, you know, get financial advice, you had to call a broker. These, these fintechs were helping to move that interface onto a mobile phone to improve you know, the convenience for their customers. And that was challenging, right? That was challenging the incumbents. What we see coming into wave two of innovation, which has been around really for about five years, is much more collaboration. So fintechs that instead are helping these incumbent banks to improve the way they operate on behalf of the end customer. Because they need improvement. <laughs> yeah, and like- they, In they, my opinion. They've done a good, good job catching up. Yeah. Um, and that's where we're coming into the next wave of innovation, which is focused on generative AI-based solutions, AI-based solutions more broadly, and really doubling down on personalization and experience for customers. And so what do you do? You're, you're with AWS, Amazon Web Services. Like, how do you help these, these fintech companies? Yeah, sure. So, you know, we are, as an organization, very customer obsessed. So we work backwards from the specific needs of our customers. And because fintechs are, you know, there's a lot of fintechs. It's quite a broad space. Um, and because they have quite unique needs, that's where my team comes in. And so we focus on helping these companies to build in a secure and compliant way. They're typically holding customer money. You know, we need to make sure that they're holding that in a compliant way and they're not having any data leakages. We help them to kind of move into new markets you know, in a rapid way. We help them to go to market and sell into financial service institutions. And we help them to get up set, early, set up early. And that's where our accelerator that we launched today comes in. So, so you launched an accelerator. So explain to the listeners what an acceler- accelerator program is. Yeah, sure. So yeah, we do a lot of accelerators at AWS. It's a core part of our strategy to help identify and engage and and support the growth of uh, high potential early stage companies. And so the FedTech Accelerator is focused on financial service technology companies uh, operating in North America, EMEA and Latin America. And we equip them with the right support through AWS experts, but also many of our partners who work in venture capital, um, you know, the work like companies like NVIDIA that are sponsoring this uh, program with us. Uh, so we provide them with a lot of, lot of support. And so you're not just trying to sell them cloud service? Well, that's you know hopefully going to be an outcome of it. Yeah, that's not the main reason we do it. And yeah. everything that they might need. We help them to grow, and in most cases, when companies grow, you know they they adopt more of our services. So it's kind of more of a, an after effect of it rather than the deliberate reason we do these things. So you're in charge of this um, for the the world for Amazon, right? Amazon Web Services. How's Canada doing? Canada's great. It's a it's a you know it's a vibrant market. A lot of fintech companies operating here. I've been walking around the floor today and meeting them. Um, you know, there's companies, like I said, like uh, Financial Neo that are doing interesting things in the kind of banking space, providing more personalization for customers, improving, you know, the mobile use of money. And, you know, just like a lot of the other innovation that's happening globally, the big focus being on the customer, making things faster, making things cheaper, making things more personalized and lower friction. So you're into the technology space in a big way. What's the most exciting thing you're seeing over the next five years? Yeah, I mean, it's a big buzzword. You know, I've heard it in this conference already a number of times, but it's definitely generative AI. 
know, already 91% of financial service institutions are using AI in some capacity. 80% of fintechs are using machine learning. But I think we're still at the beginning of, of the use of this technology. Um, it's going to be used across the full customer journey, helping customers get that personalized experience. I think in the fullness of time, if you fast forward five years from now, Gen AI will enable anybody with a smartphone to have a personal financial assistant who can help them, you know, educate them and help them to use their money more yeah, effectively. Their own personal banker. It'll be like talking to a human. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's a realistic outcome. You know, we call it self-driving money. Your money drives itself. You don't need to bother with, you know, checking in every five minutes. Should we be checks. worried about that? I don't think so, because there's going to be guardrails in place. You know, this yeah. stuff is not going to just, you know, drive your money in the wrong direction. There'll be strong <laughs> guardrails in place. Into, into the ditch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's already a lot of innovation happening in this space already. Companies like Clio, based in the UK, they already provide personal financial management advice using customer data to help them better spend their money. Gen AI is going to take it to the next level. I guess in some cases, the AI could almost be better than humans, faster. I think there'll, there'll be some areas where you need curated advice from a, course, from, yeah. from a person. And I think at the very beginning, I think you'll have a review function from humans. Um, I think at the very beginning, you expect Gen AI to be used more for kind of co-piloting. So it's not that's, piloting. That's a good way, word, co-piloting. It's co-piloting. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in the fullness of time, as the technology improves, and we see this with the technology as well, I think you expect it to take over as the main pilot with the correct guardrails in place. Very cool. We're talking with Sam Edge from AWS, all about uh, the future of financial tech. Thanks for coming on the program. Thanks for having Mike. Great to be here. We're going to talk uh, USB cables uh, now. We all use them on a day-to-day basis to charge our phones, our laptops, to transfer data. And there's a lots of different kinds out there. So just wanted to go through what to look for and uh, what are the differences. Uh, so I, I guess the, the current standard, uh, Gray, would be USB-C. And uh, that's kind of the way the, the world is, is going. And even the European Union has mandated that uh, all electronics uh, have to adopt that standard uh, now, even Apple. And uh, it sounds like uh, someone from Apple has even come out and said that they will comply with that in the next year. Yeah, which is not a terrible thing. I mean, you know, when we think about it, the iPhone, when it first launched, had that 30-pin dock connector, which was a great connector for the time. It had a nice little click-in that would, you know, securely uh, connect it to the the device. Um, Apple went with Lightning, um, which was a cable of their own devising at the time, which, if you remember, USB was USB micro and USB mini, which was much like USB-A, wrong 150% of the time. You tried to plug it in, wouldn't fit. Flip it over, wouldn't fit, flip it back over, it would finally work. Whereas Lightning, <laughs> doesn't matter which way you plug it in, it works. It's an it's an eight-pin cable, um, but it's getting a little long in the tooth. It's 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 time for it to to I think head on its way out. And USB-C um, does have this wonderful nature of being able to plug into a whole lot of different things. But that USB-C connector is the connector because behind that, there are a bunch of things that you need to know. And that is, you know, one, does it carry power? Um, USB-A can carry up to 12 watts of power. USB-C ports can pr- provide 18 watts of power for fast charging phones um, and up to 240 watts of power for laptops. Um, if you've got a new MacBook Pro, they charge at 110, 120 watts, I believe. Yeah. Um, and, and so Lightning will do 12 watts with a USB-A cable. But if you've got a USB-C cable, will charge even faster, up to 18 watts. Um, you know, in some cases, charging your phone in just half an hour. So... Does so, but for, power? Yeah, so for the listeners out there, you know, we're talking all these watts and stuff, and most people don't know what the heck we're talking about. But when we're talking like 12 to 18 watts, that's typically good for phones and maybe small tablets? Yes, yeah. And so 
the original iPhone came with a five watt adapter. Most phones came with a five watt adapter. Uh, that's the one that will charge your phone, you know, over like eight or nine hours now. Um, whereas <laughs> a 10 watt, a 12 watt, an 18 watt, um, or the original iPad came with a 20 watt, um, they will charge quite a bit quicker. Um, you will find that some uh, phones will come with 30 watt adapters, um, and some tablets will come with up to 60 watt adapters. Most laptops are in that sort of 30 to 60 watt range right now. So when you're buying a cable, and this is the thing, you know, so many people do this. They forget their cable. They go to a gas station. They pick up the cheap $5 cable, and they wonder why the magic smoke comes out of their device. <sighs> you're buying a cable that's not actually rated for the thing that you want it to do, and you can you can damage your chargers. You can damage your electronics. So does it, does it carry power? First question. And how much power uh, is the cable rated to carry? Uh, the second thing is going to be data. So your, your charging power is going to be measured in watts. Your data transfer speed is going to be in megabits per second, which is Mbps or gigabits per second. Um, if you're using this to transfer data back and forth, so you know, for example, I've got uh, a MetaQuest 2, that VR headset. It uses USB-C, and at the I think it's a five gig, uh, ten gigabit, ten gigabit per second cable. I can actually plug it into my computer and stream high-end games off my computer into that headset. Uh, a lesser cable won't do it. But Gray. So there's all these different cables that are rated at different power, but they never really say, do you know what I mean? Like, how do you know? Like, if you just, if you got a drawer full of cables, like, how do you know which one will be strong enough or powerful enough to, to charge your laptop? So, so here's the thing. If you've got a bunch of unlabeled cables in your drawer, may God have mercy on you. Um, there... <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, like, because you should see some of my drawers. Like, there's like, it's, it's a rat's nest of these these USB C cables, and, and it's a pain in the butt, right? Because some of them just aren't, haven't got the, the power to power my laptop. You know what I mean? Exactly, and and so there is really no definitive way. You would think that perhaps they would print on the cable, you know, what what wattage it was rated for, what data speed it was rated for, but they decided not to do that. So I've got a bit of a, a rule that I go by, which is, does the cable feel expensive? Um, if you've got, if you've got <laughs> some nice strain dude. relief on the end. Yeah. But Gray, that's not the best way to, <laughs> to figure out if... It's not the best way to handle this. But right now, it's the best thing that I've got. Um, you know, in a lot of cases, you'll actually see if you plug a cheaper cable in or a lower spec cable in, a lot of devices now will say, hey, this actually isn't sufficient for what I need. And so USB-C is been great for doing that this i love using the word standard for this because it doesn't feel standard at all but this standard basically has allowed us to have cables that can communicate back to us through the through the devices that we have hey this thing isn't good enough um you know the gas station special isn't going to do the job you know pay a little bit more for that cable now you don't need to pay a fortune right um you can actually find some really great priced cables out there that will do what you want them to do you have to look for cables that do either on the packaging um, or on the website that you buy them from have the rating. And honestly, when you get it home, test it. If it charges your phone slowly, take it back. It's something different. Uh, it is a bit of the Wild West. Like these things do say that they're supposed to be rated for this stuff. Um, it's a bit of wild turkey shoot. I'm not going to lie. Okay. So let's just go through this again here. It's uh, a little bit confusing. Uh, if you are getting these USB-C cables uh, to charge your laptop, what what rating should they look for? So you should be looking for a wattage rating of 30 watts or up. 100 watts 
is actually a good rating for uh, laptop charging. If you're looking for something that's got a good transfer rate, anything that's marked as a Thunderbolt 3 or Thunderbolt 4 cable, which uses uh, chips in the end of the cable to give you a faster data speed, is good. Anything above 1 gigabit per second is going to have a, a better data transfer speed than your old USB 2 spec. So look for those things. Um, obviously, in this case, the bigger the number, the better. And you're looking for gigabits per second, not megabits per second. So it's kind of important that you get like a good quality cable. I, I know so many people, and I'm guilty. Uh, you know, I'll go on some of these chi- uh, cheap Chinese sites like Timu and buy a bunch of $3 <laughs> USB-C cables. But they're, I mean, you get what you pay for, right? You really do. And so you'll sometimes see like USB 3.1 or USB 3.2, um, either Gen 1, Gen 2, Thunderbolt 3, Thunderbolt 4. If you see those words um, and you plug it in and you're getting good speeds, you've probably got a legitimate cable. The challenge is there are a lot of folks out there that are counterfeiting stuff or just labeling things completely erroneously uh, just to get your money. And honestly, for the 2 $3 that you pay for it, they've made their profit. You don't get the cable you want. There is blood on the floor, but <laughs> they're going to catch fire. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> so let's talk about um, the actual charging blocks. And you know, we've talked a little bit about this in the past, uh, but there's uh, a new type of standard out that uh, it's pretty handy, and uh, it's they're called GAN chargers, uh, and that's G A A N. I think gallium uh, nitrate uh, uh, chargers. Uh, this is more conductive than than silicone. So uh, they've been able to take power blocks, power chargers. And, and really shrink them down in size and have like really high uh, power throughput. Throughput. Yeah, I've actually had one of the first GAN chargers uh, out there. And uh, Anker's actually been doing a really great job, uh, you know, company that you can find, I think, on Amazon and a few other places. Um, and I've got a couple of their GAN chargers, and they're absolutely fantastic. Um, they don't generate as much heat, so they can charge things quite a bit faster. They're slimmer. Um, I, I love products that I've got that have GAN technology because they're just they're they're far better chargers um, and you know slimmer, lighter, cooler. You know, it, it sounds like a Kanye song. Well, no, I mean, and that's the great thing, right? Because uh, you know, if you're looking in the past, if you had to get a um, a laptop charger replacement, you're kind of at the mercy of uh, the manufacturer. Do you know what I mean? Like they were expensive. You know, even on the Apple side, they were expensive uh, as well. Like, you know, a lot of cases, they could have been anywhere from 100 to 150 bucks. whereas you can get these uh, these GAN chargers now that are just a, a fraction of the price. And the fact that they do use that USB-C, USB 3.1, USB 3.2, Thunderbolt uh, type standards does mean that you'll be able to plug them in with a good quality cable into most of your devices, get a good charge, and not worry about either damaging the device, overcharging the device, or burning it out. I will say this. Um, if you do have cables that you're not sure of the legitimacy of, um, this is one of those moments that it can actually be a bit of a danger. Um, I did have a counterfeit cable that identified itself by, again, um, having a, a small hole, hole open up and the magic smoke came out, um, which nearly started Sorry, a ma- fire in my Magic smoke? <laughs> yeah, the magic smoke. Anytime that you have a device that uh, is no longer working, the magic smoke comes out. You let the magic smoke out, things don't work anymore. Uh, so again, talking about GAN chargers, and I, I misspelt it. It's a G-A-N. Uh, that style stands for gallium nitride. Uh, it's the new standard uh, in, in in power block chargers for things like cell phones, uh, laptops, um, and, and and tablets uh, as, as well. Uh, they are 
a lot cheaper than uh, some of the laptop power um, block replacements out there. So definitely something to look at. And what I love, uh, again, uh, is just the size of them, uh, Gray. Like, uh, you know, it, it's really cut down uh, the bulk in my, my laptop bag when I'm traveling. Yeah, I, I've got to admit, I've, I've got a couple that, I, that charge multiple devices. Taking one charger for everything, fantastic experience. We've been talking all about uh, USB-C cables uh, and uh, chargers uh, as well. So definitely something to uh, to look out for when you are in the market for a uh, uh, a new one. Uh, just a quick uh, kind of uh, product review before we uh, we go. I've had a chance to check out the the, the new Google Pixel tablet with the uh, the speaker dock. How's that? Front. It's cool. It's uh, it looks like the Google Nest Hub, um, which is their digital. Uh, I guess speaker uh, but what's cool about it now is that the tablet part actually comes right off the dock I've heard it's like it's highly magnetic like you can basically stick this thing to the fridge yeah it's it's super cool like I, I love the fact that it's kind of like a Google you know Google assistant right uh, you know the dock is a, a you know a, a really nice speaker but now you know if I want to just take that tablet with me over to the couch uh, and it's a it's a giant tablet compared to the the Google Nest uh, uh, screen and uh, it's beautiful I, I know a lot of Android uh, manufacturers have had a hard time competing against uh, Apple and the iPad but I, I have to say this this one's pretty skookum I like it I'm gonna have to check it out yeah uh, yeah you should again it's uh, the new uh, Google uh, uh, Pixel tablet uh, with the uh, the speaker dock, not cheap. I think it's up in the six hundred dollar price range, but that gets you the dock and the uh, the tablet uh, itself as well. Don't forget to listen to our sister show. It's called the App Show. It's on every Sunday across the Chorus Radio Network, and we got a good program uh, this week. We're going to be talking about some cool Canadian tech startups. Uh, one uh, a ride hailing app for women, and a- another virtual uh, clothing uh, app where you can actually try on clothes and see how they look on your body because you will have created your own digital avatar with your uh, smartphone. And we're going to be giving you our top Google Chrome hacks uh, as well. And uh, this is definitely something to uh, to tune in for. Everyone uh, uses Google Chrome. It's one of the most popular browsers uh, out there. So we're going to give you some of our favorite uh, kind of Google Chrome hacks you know, tips and tricks, if uh, if you may. I want to thank all the folks that helped put the program together. And of course, uh, Gray Williams, uh, my co-host. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Gray. I was glad to be here. This is uh, Mike and Gray for the App Show. Sorry, I mean, get connected. <laughs> I'm getting my shows mixed up here. Uh, we'll see you again next time.